Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I am Dan. You're Christmas Dan. I'm Christmas Dan, even though I don't have any Christmas clothes on, <laughs> but we are Christmas Village. We don't need Christmas clothes. We have the Christmas Village, and I wore green, so we are okay. Mm-hmm. You are Lindsay. I'm Lindsay, the Christmas elf. <laughs> and uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, happy whatever you are celebrating. Happy nothing. Oh, we're happy nothing. Yeah. That's okay, too. Happy, happy. Uh, I, I like that our uh, dogs have little um, holiday scarves. Oh, my gosh. Ginger is wearing uh, an actual, like, knitted scarf right now. And so it's cute. so cute. And Penny has a little, like, made by Santa's elves or something. Yeah, made by elves. It's made from by elves. Elf. Oh, from Elf, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, so cute. So cute. And you know what? And we, uh, we're we not going to really do any announcements. We're just going to get right into it. We're just going to do stories that we mm-hmm. do. What what holiday horror do you have for us this uh, week? I wish you wouldn't have put that holiday word in there because we don't have but one fan story that references Christmas. It's not oh, even like okay. a Christmas haunting. So I feel sad. It doesn't have to be holiday themed. I just meant like horror that's going to uh, come around the holidays. Oh. Um, yeah, I have a story about... Uh, a guy whose dad passes away and then comes back for like a little visit. Cool. And I, it's, it's more sweet. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has like an element of like, oh, and then when you figure it out, you're like, oh, okay. Uh, and then my second story is actually from one person, three short stories about three separate incidences in their frat house. Oh, all right. So, the, so they're connected, but they're not, it's not one continuous story, if that makes sense. Sound good. I look forward to hearing them. I hope you do. Uh, today, I will be bringing back our annual holiday horror tradition that you don't necessarily like, but... Nobody likes it. I think some people like it. A few, yeah. Some people like it. And uh, I'm actually, I think this is a, a, a good story. It's actually kind of spooky, and it's uh, a well-known one. Is it okay if I just uh, put my head down and take a nap? No. Uh, for Victorian England, just a little reminder, 
December was the spooky season, not October. And this is where our Western tradition of telling ghost stories to scare one another actually comes from. Uh, friends and family would gather around the fire, you know, after a nice holiday meal to tell spooky stories. Oh. And in honor of that tradition, for the fourth year in a row now, I will tell another story from a British author from the Victorian era. So last year I read Lost Hearts by M.R. James. In 2020, it was The Ghost Summons by Ada Buisson. In 2019, our first holiday season here, it was Smee by oh, A.M. Yeah. Birch. Yeah, that was a good one. That one was actually scary. Mm-hmm. Today, I'm telling one that I, I I think another one you might like, uh, The Monkey's Paw by W.W. Jacobs. And it's a very influential story on the just horror genre in general. It's been remade, retold in a variety of different ways. Oh. Uh, the Victorian era technically ended on January 22nd, 1901, when Queen Victoria died. And this story was published First in 1902, but I I like to think that Jacobs uh, wrote it in 1901. Probably at least thought of it before the Queen passed, so I'm going to say it still plays. Uh, The Monkey's Paw will be my second story. First, some some horror from modern England. Found this tale in a collection of recent paranormal encounters from the UK. A married couple bring their young son on a vacation to the countryside, where he finds some occult objects stashed away that lead to a terrifying evening and an early end to their vacation. And I don't want to give away more than that. It makes me a tiny bit nervous since we're going away for the holidays and we're going to stay in a vacation home. Mm, What if we found some creepy stuff there? Oh, yeah. If that happens, I'm going to go stay with my mom or dad. Okay. You and the kids can stay there and see what happens, but I'm going to go stay with my family. All right. Sounds fair. Okay. Are are you ready to jump into this first story? I am. You got your socks on? I do. This week I have on these like uh, holiday (laughs) lights. Nice. Oh, and I just the, cracked my ankle. <laughs> this is the first time I think we've debuted. What is this? The sock cam. I don't even know. No, it's... we did it last week. Oh, we did. We did. Oh, yeah, I missed it. I missed it. I didn't look up in time. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you not look at my feet? <laughs> uh, you do have great feet. I don't have. I don't have a foot. That's a weird. I don't have a foot fetish, but oh. you have very cute feet. Well, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't have ugly feet. Like some people, just you know. I kind of do. Yeah, you have long toes. Mm-hmm. And your, bad your feet are, toenails. Your feet are hairy. a little bit. You're t- you're like your actual phalanges are a little bit creepy. Yeah, because they're like long. Mm-hmm. I know. Yep. Well, what do you do? But you know what? They're your feet, and I love everything about you. So I love your feet too. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, so there's no setup for this first story. We're just gonna we're just gonna dive right in. You ready? I am ready. As spaghetti. Time now for the tale of Remember You Must Die. Kirsten and Thomas had been looking forward to having a little getaway for quite some time. Life had been hectic and stressful for a while now. They brought their youngest, Sam, with them, but left their two older children with some friends. They hoped that, even with one kid in tow, they could still find some time to relax and decompress. Thomas had booked them a week at a woodland holiday village, and when they arrived, it seemed like it was exactly what he and Kirsten were hoping for. The place was beautiful. A bunch of small, cozy-looking wood cabins with entertainment and a good restaurant on site, surrounded by beautiful greenery and lots of lovely old-growth trees. As is often the case with seven-year-olds, however, Sam started getting restless soon after they arrived. What read as relaxing to his parents, read to him only as dull. Mom, there's nothing to do here, he kept whining while tugging at the bottom of Kirsten's shirt. It was the third day into the trip, and far from being relaxed, Kirsten was finding herself more stressed than if she were at home thanks to Sam. She wished she would have pushed harder on Thomas to leave him with their friends as well. He was worried, as clingy as Sam the baby the family was, especially towards his mother, that they'd have to cut their trip short to come back and take him because he just wouldn't be able to deal with being separated from his parents. And Thomas was probably right. Ugh. 
Most days, she didn't mind her baby boy, rarely wanting to leave her side. She knew it wouldn't last forever, but couldn't he just give her a few days? Go play with your new Transformers, Kirsten suggested, when it was just she and Sam at the cabin. Sam couldn't have played with his toys for more than ten minutes before he was back to tugging at her shirt. I'm bored, Mom, he whined. And then as luck would have it, at that moment, Kirsten saw Falcon outside the window, perched on a branch. Look at that big bird, Sam. She tried to muster enough excitement in her voice to hold his interest. Why don't you paint a picture for it for Grandma? She suggested. Where are your paints? As Kirsten finally sat down, she reminded Sam to mix his paints on saucers and sent him to the kitchen to get some. He soon came running back to her. Mom, I found some stamps. She heard him squeal excitedly. Like the animal ones I used to have. These are so cool. There's a star and a bendy tree and some funny words and even a skull. Can I make my pictures with these? Sure, sweetheart. His mother replied absentmindedly, and she settled onto the sofa and popped an earbud in, just happy he was finally entertained and leaving her alone. Half an hour later, Thomas arrived with bags of shopping. Putting them down on the counter, he spotted the box of block stamps his son had found and called his wife over. Kirsten, have you seen these? Joining her husband and son in the kitchen, Kirsten bent over the table to examine the wooden blocks and her son's paintings. There were a few sheets of paper laying out to dry. The first thing she noticed was that every single piece of paper had the words Memento Mori stamped across the top in jet black ink. On the first sheet of paper, there was a strange looking black cat arching its back in a pentagram with some other strange writing inside of it. The second page she picked up was even stranger with a terrifying looking wolf, a strange devil-like creature with horns and of course the skull Sam had been excited about. An uneasy feeling crept over her as Thomas picked up one of the wooden blocks. They were definitely old and extremely well-made with ornate carvings all around the sides. They're definitely old, Thomas mumbled to himself. Where did you find these, son? In this box under the sink, child replied matter-of-factly. The last children who came here must have left them, he shrugged. I don't think these belong to any children, mate, Thomas replied, the concern heavy in his voice. Kirsten picked up the box and examined it. It was very beautiful and definitely old. These are probably quite valuable. Maybe we should put them away. But I haven't finished my pictures, Sam protested. At that moment, Kirsten felt her husband's hand grip her wrist tightly as he pulled her into the bedroom and shut the door. I know you don't believe in this stuff, but surely you've seen enough horror movies to know what a pentagram is, he began. The stuff has the occult written all over it, he added, fear emanating from his voice. And do you know what memento mori means, he also asked. No, I don't. It's Latin, for remember you must die. I think I learned about it when I saw it written on some grim reaper art when I was, when I was a teenager never forgot it. And now our son has it written all over the place. Kirsten could see how panicked her husband was getting, but she really did believe all that hocus-pocus stuff was nonsense. I know they're probably linked to some kind of witchcraft, she responded, but no, I don't think they're evil or demonic or that they will affect anything. Besides, he's happy. He's enjoying himself and leaving me alone for the first time since we've been here. Just let him play with them today, and then we'll accidentally lose them after he goes to sleep. Okay, Thomas replied reluctantly. And with that, they returned to the kitchen to join their son, who was still sat at the table with the stamps and his paints. After a few minutes of silence, Sam, out of nowhere, in a lower-than-normal voice, not even looking up, said, When he comes, we must let him in. What was that, sweetheart? Kirsten asked, now feeling a little on edge. When he comes, we must let him in, Sam repeated, matter-of-factly. Who must we let in? Thomas asked, shifting nervously in his seat. In a low, almost whisper, Sam replied, you will see. Thomas and Kirsten exchanged a nervous glance as Kirsten looked over her son's shoulder to better see his paintings. 
The stamps were all black, but he had painted some bits in red himself, blood coming off the skeleton's dagger and dripping from the wolf's teeth. She reminded herself that all of the occult stuff Thomas got worked up about was just nonsense. But she didn't feel as certain about that as she normally did. What the hell was with Sam's voice? The on-site restaurant was a 10-minute walk away through the woods. Sam had propped his paintings against cereal boxes on the kitchen counter to dry, and the family set off for their evening meal, no doubt of burger and fries again. They ate and hung around the arcade for a while, then as dusk began to fall, and they set off back to their cabin. The layout of the place was beautiful and done in such a way that when you were at your own cabin, it was hard to believe other families were close by. The previous evening, evenings, this had felt very calming, but tonight it felt different. Tonight, Kirsten couldn't help but feel like it was very isolating. She commented this to her husband and then Sam, before his dad could say anything, walking in between his parents, offered a reply of, That's good. He will be here soon. The family soon reached the cabin and entered through the front door. Straight away, something felt off. The atmosphere was heavy and oppressive. Instinctively, Kirsten and Thomas searched the property, but nothing was out of place. Everything was how they left it, or so they thought. But then, just as Kirsten and Thomas sat down on the sofa, Sam called them back into the kitchen. Who drew this on my painting, he asked, pointing to the third picture he had painted with a pentagram and a bloody family. In the middle of the painting, there was now a picture of a door, a heavy-looking door with nails sticking out of it. Are you sure you didn't draw it, honey? Kirsten asked. I can't draw that good, he exclaimed. Kirsten got full-body chills, and all the color drained out of Thomas's face. He was right, Kirsten thought. Sam most certainly could not draw that well. This was somebody else's work. Who had snuck into their cabin while they were away at dinner? And why the hell would they add something to their son's painting? It didn't make any sense. Just then, the whole cabin seemed to shake as there was a heavy thud on the front door. All three of them stared towards the door, frozen to where they stood. Bang! 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 The knocks were so loud. Kirsten felt a lump rise in her throat. No one pounded on a door like that. Thomas caught his wife's panicked expression and said, It's probably just kids messing about. But she could tell that he didn't really believe that. Still, he walked over to the door and cautiously opened it. The night air was illuminated by the porch light, which automatically turned itself on when someone came close to the cabin. But there was no one there. The night was still, save for a circle of some leaves blowing in the wind. A couple flew into the cabin and settled on the welcome mat. He's here, Sam's voice came, almost a whisper. Kirsten didn't want to ask. She was internally really starting to panic, but she asked anyway, Who's here, sweetheart? The person who put the door in my painting, Sam began to explain. I think they're his blocks. We'll have to ask him. As Sam was speaking, a strange growling, gurgling sound emanated from the night outside the door. Sam jumped up off his chair and ran to the door. Thomas quickly grabbed him and slammed the door shut. Dad, open the door, Sam shouted. It's important. We can't do that, son. The knocking came again, getting louder and louder and more urgent. With evil entities like this, they have to be invited in, Thomas said in a stern voice. No one is doing that, no matter what happens. Sam now strangely began sobbing. He desperately wanted to invite whatever was outside into the cabin. To their left, the banging now started up again on the window pane this time. It was a wonder the glass didn't shatter. The floor beneath their feet was shaking with the force of the knocks. Sam, crying into his mom's stomach as she rubbed his back a bit, now begged, He really, really wants to meet us! Kirsten felt her blood run cold. Thomas looked like he was on the edge of completely panicking. Thomas crouched down in front of his son. Where did you find the blocks? He asked urgently. Tell me, Sam. Sheepishly, Sam replied, In a hole in the big tree next to the front door. He told me to bring them inside. I hid them under the sink yesterday. Both parents exchanged terrified glances. 
Kirsten spun around and felt the hairs on the back of her neck stand up, as though the slats and the blinds on the kitchen window she saw, and through the slats on the blinds in the kitchen window, she saw a large figure moving about, and she let out a scream. In the instant it took Thomas to spin around to look at what scared her, it disappeared. Sam's little voice piped up again, a little louder this time. It's you he wants, Dad, he said, staring hard into his father's eyes. You have what he needs, your energy, he needs it to come back. Thomas shot Kirsten a look, silently telling her not to respond uh, or humor this in any way. Coming to stand by her side, they sat Sam on the couch and moved out of range of him hearing them, and he whispered to her, It can't enter without our permission. Let's put Sam to bed, then you and I will pack up the stuff and we'll leave first thing tomorrow morning. Kirsten nodded in agreement. A deafening crash now came from the living room. The large double window was wide open, the curtains flapping around in the wind. Completely innocently, Sam explained, You wouldn't let him in, so I did. Kirsten and Thomas will never forget the sight they saw next. An outline of a man stood in the middle of the room. Kirsten now heard a thud behind her. Thomas fainted. She spun back around towards whatever had entered the cabin, and the outline of the entity began to solidify. What looked like the ghost of an angry old man was now staring back at her. Sam whispered, He's taking Dad's energy! Don't you see? It's magic! Kirsten felt fear bubbling all over her body. She was cold and shaking and her chest was tightening. In her panicked state, she looked around not knowing what to do next, and then her eyes rested on Sam's paintings. Quickly darting out of the room and into the kitchen, Kirsten grabbed a knife and took it to the paintings, stabbing and shredding them as fast as she could. Sam screamed for her to stop. The ghost of the old man let out an angry scream himself and then faded into nothing. Thomas now sputtered and coughed and was awake again. What happened? He asked as he pushed himself up off the floor. I destroyed the paintings, Kirsten responded, as a dazed-looking Sam stumbled into her arms. Mommy, I'm so tired, he said. How long was I sleeping? I don't remember waking up today, he asked and then added. When can we go home? Right now, son, Thomas responded. Immediately, he started to run around the cabin and gather up their belongings. They all soon climbed in the car and headed for the main gate of the Holiday Village. A security guard took their keys and asked, Number 77, up by the old yew tree? Thomas nodded in response. Well, you're certainly not the first to go rushing out of here from, uh, f from there in the middle of the night. Oh? Thomas asked, though he wasn't sure he wanted or needed further explanation. When they built this place, the security guard told him, an old man had a hut up there that they had to demolish. He was not happy about the developers buying this, this place. He didn't go quietly. A guy who used to work here, work here told me he cursed the place. I don't normally believe stories like that. But there sure have been an awful lot of families leaving quick at night looking just as scared as you and your wife. Thomas and Kirsten glanced at each other quickly. Thomas thought about how they didn't destroy those blocks, and he wondered if they had just set up the next family staying there to face what they had just faced. After briefly thinking about returning to the cabin, he instead nodded knowingly towards the security guard and drove his family away from whatever they had just experienced out into the dark. I knew the little stinker was going to let that thing in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As soon as the parents left the room to go talk, I was like, oh, mm -hmm. bad idea. Kids can't be trusted. Right. A little seven-year-old kid, mm -hmm. and he's begging his parents, like, please let my friend in, essentially. Like, of course he was going to let him in. Of course. Yeah. Oh, man. I really like that story. I guess the Kirsten's a believer now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I hope this happens to you, Kyler and Monroe. Really? Did we find some yeah. uh, demonic occult blocks and yeah, make little I, paintings? I won't be home. Uh, I'll be across town, <laughs> yeah. but good luck. <laughs> uh, no pics accompany this story, but you can find all kinds of cool, uh, Memento Mori inspired artwork online. Whoa. So here's one old painting. Yeah. I never heard that phrase before. I feel like I have, but I can't place where. And, and then this next one, just another cool old Memento Mori sketch. 
All these little stelicans. Oh, I don't like those stelican bones. (laughs) And then I like the interpretation uh, on this image, uh, because to remember you must die is to remember you must live. Okay, that's cool. Mm Mm-hmm. That's actually a very cool quote. Yeah, yeah, I liked it too. Yeah. (sighs) Ay, ay, ay. Ichiwawa. I was hoping that Tom and Kirsten would go back the next day in the light of day and get the blocks and destroy them. Mm. And I thought that when she went to the kitchen, I was like, oh, she's going to like burn the paintings, the drawings that Sam had done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Burning would, would be maybe uh, in the interest of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And stabbing them was smart. Mm-hmm. Just shred them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Weird, huh? Yeah. And surprising that Sam said he felt like he was sleeping all day. Like, mommy, I don't remember getting up. I, w- I was a little nervous for them that that old man's spirit has now inhabited... Sam, Sam or Tom, mm. like permanently, or just like left a trace of itself behind. Yeah. Who knows? Don't well, know anything more about that story. The old man knows. The old man knows. <laughs> old man. <laughs> Let's have a chat about it. Uh, do you have any more questions? Or do you want to head to England in 1902 and get Victorian? Oh, the only thing, did I just misunderstand it? I thought that you said that when Tom went to the door, it was like, the kind of, there was like a motion sensor light. Yeah, when, on the porch. But when he opened the door, the light went on for him, but it didn't go on for the spirity thing that was banging. And I thought that that was an interesting detail. Mm, yeah. And it's like, even the motion detection lights yeah, didn't pick it up. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, just, yep. Uh-huh. Which would make sense, I guess. I guess. I kind of count on our motion detection lights catching everything. But not something like that, yeah. Well, not I thought it of this world. I thought it got everything. <laughs> okay, I'm ready for my nap. <laughs> okay, we're going to head to England in 1902. But before we move on to this tale, we need to take a quick in-between story sponsor break. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Thanks for listening to our sponsor deals, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you heard about some good holiday savings and can use our codes and landing pages as they come up. I'm going to try so hard to stay awake. Because remember that one time I almost fell asleep? Yeah, I do. I do. 
I don't think this will be that bad. It's, okay. it's not that long. Okay. Uh, the following story has been adapted and retold many, many times. It really became a classic. The Monkey's Paw, now first published in 1902 in The Lady of the Barge, an anthology of stories written by W.W. W. Jacobs. This is a story he's by far the most known for. It's been adapted in several films starting way back in 1915. Then again in 1919, obviously some silent films, 1923, 1933, 1946, 1961, 2013. It's been adapted into numerous plays as well and into uh, other mediums. And actually, random trivia about this, Stephen King's classic novel and then movie Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. actually a uh, retelling of this story in a way, heavily inspired by this story. Before you tell the story, yeah. you started listing off like years and then I thought you were going to say, and then in whatever, 1990, whatever. Yeah. Brad Pitt, what is it, like 12 oh, Monkeys? Oh, like 12 Monkeys? Yeah, this is uh, this is 12 Monkeys. <laughs> no, it has nothing to do with 12 Monkeys. <laughs> but I do but I do <laughs> like it. I do like this story, and I hope you like it as much as I do, and we just get right in. Time now for the tale of the Monkey's Paw. Chapter 1. Without, the night was cold and wet, but in the small parlor of Laburnum Villa, the blinds were drawn and the fire burned brightly. Father and son were at chess, the former, who possessed ideas about the game involving radical changes, putting his king into such sharp and unnecessary perils that it even provoked comment from the white-haired old lady knitting placidly by the fire. Hark at the wind, said Mr. White, who, having seen a fatal mistake after it was too late, was amiably desirous of preventing his son from seeing it. I'm listening, said the latter, grimly surveying the board as he stretched out his hand. Check. I should hardly think that he'd come tonight, said his father, with his hand poised over the board. Mate, replied the son. That's the worst of living so far out, bawled Mr. White, with sudden and unlooked-for violence. Of all the beastly, slushly, out-of-the-way places to live, this is the worst. Pathway's a bog and the road's a torrent. I don't know what people are thinking about. I suppose because only two houses in the road are let, they don't think it matters. Never mind, dear, said his wife soothingly. Perhaps you'll win the next one. Mr. White looked up sharply, just in time to intercept a knowing glance between mother and son. The words died away in his lips, and he hid a guilty grin in his thin gray beard. There he is, said Herbert White, as the gate banged so loudly and heavy footsteps came toward the door. The old man rose with hospitable haste, and opening the door, was heard condoling with the new arrival. The new arrival also condoled with himself, so that Mrs. White said, Tut, tut, and coughed gently as her husband entered the room, followed by a tall, burly man beady of eye and rubicund of visage. Sergeant Major Morris, he said, introducing him. The Sergeant Major shook hands and, taking the proffered seat by the fire, watched contentedly while his host got out whiskey and tumblers and stood a small copper kettle on the fire. As a third glass, at the third glass, his eyes got brighter and he began to talk, the little family circle regarding with eager interest this visitor from distant parts as he squared his broad shoulders in the chair and spoke of wild scenes and dotty deeds of wars and plagues and strange peoples. Twenty-one years of it, said Mr. White, nodding at his wife and son. When he went away, he was a slip of a youth in the warehouse. Now look at him. He don't look to have taken much harm, said Mrs. White politely. I'd like to go to India myself, said the old man, just to look around a bit, you know. Better where you are said the sergeant major, shaking his head. He put down the empty glass and, sighing softly, shook it again. I should like to see those old temples and fakirs and jugglers, said the old man. What was that you started telling me the other day about a monkey's paw or something, Morris? Nothing, said the soldier hastily. Leastways, nothing worth hearing. Monkey's paw, said Mrs. White, curiously. Well, it's just a bit of what you might call magic, perhaps, said the sergeant major offhandedly. 
His three listeners leaned forward eagerly. The visitor absentmindedly put his empty glass to his lips and then set it down again. His host filled it for him. To look at, said the sergeant major, fumbling in his pocket, it's just an ordinary little paw, dried to a mummy. He took something out of his pocket and proffered it. Mrs. White drew back with a grimace, but her son, taking it, examined it curiously. And what is there special about it? inquired Mr. White, as he took it from his son, and having examined it, placed it upon the table. It had a spell put on it by an old fakir, said the sergeant major, a very holy man. He wanted to show that fate ruled people's lives, and that those who interfered with it did so to their sorrow. He put a spell on it so that three separate men could each have three wishes from it. His manner was so impressive that his hearers were conscious that their light laughter jarred somewhat. Well, why don't you have three, sir? said Herbert White cleverly. The soldier regarded him in the way that the that middle age is wont to regard presumptuous youth. I have, he said, quietly, and his blotchy face whitened. And did you really have the three wishes granted? asked Mrs. White. I did, said the sergeant major, and his glass tapped against his strong teeth. And has anybody else wished? persisted the old lady. The first man had his three wishes, yes, was the reply. I don't know what the first two were, but the third was for death. That's how I got the paw. His tones were so grave that a hush fell upon the group. If you've had your three wishes, it's no good to you now then, Morris, said the old man at last. What do you keep it for? The soldier shook his head. Fancy, I suppose, he said slowly. I did have some idea of selling it, but I don't think I will. It has caused enough mischief already. Besides, people won't buy. They think it's a fairy tale. Some of them, and those who do think anything of it, want to try it first and pay me afterward. If you could have another three wishes, said the old man, eyeing him keenly, would you have them? I don't know, said the other. I don't know. He took the paw and dangled it between his forefinger and thumb, suddenly threw it upon the fire. White, with a slight cry, stooped down and snatched it off. Better let it burn, said the soldier, solemnly. If you don't want it, Morris, said the other, give it to me. I won't, said his friend doggedly. I threw it on the fire. If you keep it, don't blame me for what happens. Pitch it on the fire again like a sensible man. The other shook his head and examined his new possession closely. How do you do it? he inquired. Hold it up in your right hand and wish aloud, said the sergeant major. But I warn you of the consequences. Sounds like the Arabian Nights, said Mrs. White as she rose and began to set the supper. Do you think you might wish for four pairs of hands for me? Her husband drew the talisman from his pocket, and then all three burst into laughter as the sergeant major, with a look of alarm on his face, caught him by the arm. If you must wish, he said gruffly, wish for something sensible. Mr. White dropped it back in his pocket and, placing chairs, motioned his friend to the table. In the business of supper, the talisman was partly forgotten, and afterward the three sat listening in an enthralled fashion to a second installment of the soldier's adventures in India. It's a tale about the monkey's paws not more truthful than those he has been telling us, said Herbert, as the door closed behind their guest just in time for him to catch the last train. We shan't make much out of it. Did you give anything for it, father? inquired Mrs. White, regarding her husband closely. A trifle, said he, coloring slightly. He didn't want it, but I made him take it, and he pressed me again to throw it away. Likely, said Herbert, with pretended horror. Why, we're going to be rich and famous and happy. Wish to be an emperor, father. To begin with, then you can't be henpecked. He darted round the table, pursued by the maligned Mrs. White, armed with an antimacassar. Mr. White took the paw from his pocket and eyed it dubiously. I don't know what to wish for, and that's a fact, he said slowly. It seems to me I've got all I want. 
If you only cleared the house, you'd be quite happy, wouldn't you? said Herbert with his hand on his shoulder. Well, wish for two hundred pounds then. That'll just do it. His father, smiling shamefacedly at his own credulity, held up the talisman as his son, with a solemn face somewhat marred by a wink at his mother, sat down at the piano and struck a few impressive chords. I wish for two hundred pounds, said the old man distinctly. A fine crash from the piano greeted the words, interrupted by a shuddering cry from the old man. His wife and his son ran towards him. It moved, he cried, with a glance of disgust at the object as it lay on the floor. As I wished, it twisted in my hand like a snake. Well, I don't see the money, said his son as he picked it up and placed it on the table, and I bet I never shall. It must have been your fancy, father, said his wife, regarding him anxiously. He shook his head. Never mind, though, there's no harm done, but it gave me a shock all the same. They sat down by the fire again while the two men finished their pipes. Outside, the wind was higher than ever, and the old man started nervously at the sound of a door banging upstairs. A silence, unusual and depressing, settled upon all three, which lasted until the old couple rose to retire for the night. I expect you'll find the cash tied up in a big bag in the middle of your bed, said Herbert, as he bade them good night. And something horribly squat and something horrible squatting on top of the wardrobe, watching you as you pocket your ill-gotten gains. He sat alone in the darkness, gazing at the dying fire and seeing faces in it. The last face was so horrible and so simian that he gazed at it in amazement. It got so vivid that, with a little uneasy laugh, he felt on the table for a glass containing a little water to throw over it. His hand grasped the monkey's paw, and with a little shiver, he wiped his hand on his coat and went up to bed. Chapter 2 In the brightness of the wintry sun next morning, as it gleamed over the breakfast table, he laughed at his fears. There was an air of prosaic wholesomeness about the room which it had lacked on the previous night, and the dirty, shriveled little paw was pitched on the sideboard with a carelessness which betokened no great belief in its virtues. I suppose all soldiers are the same, said Mrs. White, the idea of our listening to such nonsense. How could wishes be granted in these days? And if they could, how could two hundred pounds hurt you, father? Might drop on his head from the sky, said the frivolous Herbert. Morris said the things happened so naturally, said his father, that you might, if you so wished, attribute it to coincidence. Well, don't break into the money before I come back, said Herbert, as he rose from the table. I'm afraid it'll turn you into a mean, avaricious man, and we shall have to disown you. His mother laughed, and following him to the door, watched him down the road, and returning to the breakfast table, was very happy at the expense of her husband's credulity, all of which did not prevent her from scurrying to the door at the postman's knock nor prevent her from referring somewhat shortly to retired sergeant majors of bibulous habits when she found that the post brought a tailor's bill. Herbert will have some more of his funny remarks, I expect, when he comes home, she said, as they sat at dinner. I dare say, said Mr. White, pouring himself out some beer. But for all that, the thing moved in my hand. That I'll swear to. You thought it did, said the old lady soothingly. I say it did, replied the other. There was no thought about it. I had just... What's the matter? His wife made no reply. She was watching the mysterious movements of a man outside who, peering in an undecided fashion at the house, appeared to be trying to make up his mind to enter. In mental connection with the 200 pounds, she noticed that the stranger was well-dressed and wore a silk hat of glossy newness. Three times he paused at the gate and then walked on again. The fourth time he stood with his hand upon it and then with sudden resolution flung it open and walked up the path. Mrs. White, at the same moment, placed her hands behind her and hurriedly unfastening the strings of her apron, put that useful article of apparel beneath the cushion of her chair. She brought the stranger, who seemed ill at ease, into the room. He gazed at her furtively and listened in a preoccupied fashion as the old lady apologized for the appearance of the room, 
and her husband's coat, a garment which he usually reserved for the garden. She then waited as patiently as her sex would permit for him to broach his business, but he was at first strangely silent. I... I was asked to call, he said at last, and stopped and picked up a piece of cotton from his trousers. I come from Ma and Megan's. The old lady started. Is anything the matter? She asked breathlessly. Has anything happened to Herbert? What is it? What is it? Her husband interposed. There, there, mother, he said hastily. Sit down and don't jump to conclusions. You've not brought bad news, I'm sure, sir. And he eyed the other wistfully. I'm, I'm sorry, began the visitor. Is he hurt? Demanded the mother wildly. The visitor bowed in assent. Badly hurt, he said quietly. But he is not in any pain. Oh, thank God, said the old woman, clasping her hands. Thank God for that thing. She broke off suddenly as the sinister meaning of the assurance dawned upon her, and she saw the awful confirmation of her fears in the other's averted face. She caught her breath, and turning to her slower-witted husband, laid her trembling old hand upon his, and there was a long silence. He was caught in the machinery, said the visitor at length in a low voice. Caught in the machinery, repeated Mr. White in a dazed fashion. Yes. He sat staring blankly out the window, and taking his wife's hand between his own, pressed it as he had not been wont to do as he had been wont to do in their old courting days nearly forty years before. He was the only one left to us, he said, turning gently to the visitor. It is hard. The other coughed and rising walked slowly to the window. The firm wished me to convey their sincere sympathy with you in your great loss, he said, without looking round. I beg that you will understand I am only their servant and merely obeying orders. There was no reply. The old woman's face was white, her eyes staring, and her breath inaudible. On the husband's face was a look such as his friend the sergeant might have carried into his first action. I wish to say that Ma and Megan disclaim all responsibility, continued the other. They admit no liability at all, but in consideration of your son's services, they wish to present you with a certain sum as compensation. Mr. White dropped his wife's hand and, rising to his feet, gazed with a look of horror at his visitor. His dry lips shaped the words, How much? Two hundred pounds, was the answer. Unconscious of his wife's shriek, the old man smiled faintly, put his hands out like a sightless man, and dropped a senseless heap to the floor. Chapter 3 In a huge new cemetery, some two miles distant, the old people buried their dead and came back to a house steeped in shadow and silence. It was all over so quickly that at first they could hardly realize it, and remained in a state of expectation as though of something else to happen. Something else which was to lighten this load, too heavy for old hearts to bear. But the days passed, and expectations gave place to resignation. The hopeless resignation of the old, sometimes miscalled, apathy. Sometimes they hardly exchanged a word, for now they had nothing to talk about, and their days were long to weariness. It was about a week after that that the old man, walking suddenly into the night, stretched out his hand and found himself alone. The room was in darkness, and the sound of subdued weeping came from the window. He raised himself in bed and listened. Come back, he said tenderly. You'll be cold. It is colder for my son, said the old woman and wept afresh. The sound of her sobs died away on his ears. The bed was warm and his eyes heavy with sleep. He dozed fitfully and then slept until a sudden wild cry from his wife awoke him with a start. The paw, she cried wildly. The monkey's paw. He started up in alarm. Where, where is it? What's the matter? She came stumbling across the room towards him. I want it, she said quietly. You've not destroyed it? It's in the parlor on the bracket, he replied, marveling. Why? She cried and laughed together and bending over kissed his cheek. I only just thought of it, she said hysterically. Why didn't I think of it before? Why didn't you think of it? Think of what? He questioned. The other two wishes, she replied rapidly. We've only had one, 
Was not that enough? He demanded fiercely. No, she cried triumphantly. We'll have one more. Go down and get it quickly and wish our boy alive again. The man sat up in bed and flung the bedclothes from the quaking limbs, from his quaking limbs. Good God, you are mad, he cried aghast. Get it, she panted. Get it quickly and wish. Oh, my boy, my boy. Her husband struck a match and lit the candle. Get back to bed, he said unsteadily. You, you don't know what you are saying. We had the first wish granted, said the old woman feverishly. Why not the second? A coincidence, stammered the old man. Go and get it and wish, cried his wife, quivering with excitement. The old man turned and regarded her, and his voice shook. He's been dead for ten days. And besides, he... I would not tell you else, but I could only recognize him by his clothing. If he was too terrible for you to see then, how now? Bring him back, cried the old woman and dragged him toward the door. Do you think I fear the child I have nursed? He went down in the darkness and felt his way to the parlor, and then to the mantelpiece. The talisman was in his place, and a horrible fear that the unspoken wish might bring his mutilated son before him, ere he could escape from the room seized upon him, and he caught his breath as he found that he had lost the direction of the door. His brow cold with sweat, he felt his way round the table, and groped along the wall until he found himself in the small passage with the unwholesome thing in his hand. Even his wife's face seemed changed as she entered the room. It was white and expectant, and to his fears seemed to have an unnatural look upon it. He was afraid of her. Wish, she cried in a strong voice. It is foolish and wicked, he faltered. Wish, repeated his wife. He raised his hand. I wish my son alive again. The talisman fell to the floor and he regarded it fearfully. Then he sank trembling into a chair as the old woman with burning eyes walked to the window and raised the blind. He sat there until he was chilled with the cold, glancing occasionally at the figure of the old woman peering through the window. The candle end, which had burned below the rim of the china candlestick, was throwing pulsating shadows on the ceiling and walls, until with a flicker larger than the rest, it expired. The old man, with an unspeakable sense of relief at the failure of the talisman, crept back to his bed, and a minute or two afterward the old woman came silently and apathetically beside him. Neither spoke, but lay silently listening to the ticking of the clock. A stair creaked and a squeaky mouse scurried noisily through the wall. The darkness was oppressive. And after lying for some time, screwing up his courage, he took the box of matches and striking one went downstairs for a candle. At the foot of the stairs, the match went out and he paused to strike another. And at the same moment, a knock, so quiet and stealthy as to be scarcely audible, sounded on the front door. The matches fell from his hand and spilled in the passage. He stood motionless, his breath suspended until the knock was repeated. Then he turned and fled swiftly back to his room and closed the door behind him. A third knock sounded through the house. What's that? cried the old woman, starting up. A rat, said the old man in shaking tones. A rat, it passed me on the stairs. His wife sat up in bed listening. A loud knock now resounded through the house. It's Herbert, she screamed. It's Herbert. She ran to the door, but her husband was before her and catching her by the arm, held her tightly. What are you going to do? he whispered hoarsely. It's my boy. It's Herbert, she cried, struggling mechanically. I forgot it was two miles away. What are you holding me for? Let go. I must open the door. For God's sake, don't let it in, cried the old man, trembling. You're afraid of your own son, she cried, struggling. Let me go. I'm coming, Herbert. I'm coming. There was another knock and another. The old woman, with a sudden, with a sudden wrench, broke free and ran from the room. Her husband followed to the landing and called after her appealingly as she hurried downstairs. 
He heard the chain rattle back and the bottom bolt drawn slowly and stiffly from the socket. Then the old woman's voice strained and panting. The bolt, she cried loudly. Come down, I can't reach it. But her husband was on his hands and knees, groping wildly on the floor in search of the paw. If he could only find it before the thing outside got in. A perfect fusillade of knocks reverberated throughout the house, and he heard the scraping of a chair as his wife put it down in the passage against the door. He heard the creaking of the bolt as it came slowly back, and at that same moment he found the monkey's paw and frantically breathed his third and last wish. The knocking ceased suddenly, although the echoes of it were still in the house. He heard the chair drawn back and the door opened. A cold wind rushed up the staircase, and a long, loud wail of disappointment and misery from his wife gave him the courage to run down to her side and then to the gate beyond. The street lamp flickering opposite shone on a quiet and deserted road. He was, <clears throat> he was smart to wish no. When I send my son back to where he came from or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yep, I wish my son to return to... Death be, or to, whatever, to death. Yeah. yeah. Oh, because he was going to be, that was going to be gnarly. Mm-hmm. 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 And that's that's that pet cemetery, you know, like a uh, basic plot where it's like, uh, I mean, spoiler alert if you haven't watched this movie that was done so many years it. ago. But basically, you know, like the movie is, uh, you know, a couple moves into a new house uh, by the highway. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have a fence up. A uh, little boy goes running for something. I no. can't even remember. Yeah, sad. Like their little boy runs out. There's these big trucks flying down the road, gets fucking blasted by a truck, you know, killed. And then, you know, mad with grief. Yeah. Uh, the father has heard, had heard this old legend of this, like, I think Mimac, this, this local tribe, had this old cemetery for, oh, that's what it was. Earlier in the movie, there's, um, their cat dies first. Mm-hmm. And uh, the kid is so upset that mm. he tries out this old legend he'd heard about, this old Mimex pet cemetery where you could bury pets and they'd somehow come back alive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just like, why not? He does that. And the cat does come back. Aha. Uh-huh. But the cat is fucked up. The cat is not the same. And it's mean and it's crazy. It's like this, you know, there's something very wrong with it. It's, it's an undead cat. And, uh, and then when the boy dies, he doesn't want to do that. But he just gets so sad mm-hmm. that he does it anyway. And when little Gage comes back, he is not a good little boy. Oh, buddy, oh boy. Yeah, and so I have some pictures. Okay. This first one is a por- portrait of Monkey's Paw author W.W. W. Jacobs. Hot. <laughs> this uh, next one illustration accompanying the story from the original printing of The Lady of the Barge, that anthology series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's the old man looking at his paw, I believe, in that. Yeah. And uh, another illustration accompanying a another edition of the story, right? Oh, yeah. The old lady trying to... Undo the, latch, the door yeah. as he uh, makes his final wish. And then this is creepy little Gage back from the dead in Pet Cemetery. Oh, he's a cutie pie. With a little scalpel in his hand. Oh, his face is cute. <laughs> yeah, cute little actor. Cute little kid. Cute, chubby little cheeks. Not, not cute little character. He comes uh, back. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that I don't have to watch that one now. Now I just know what it's about. So, so I've seen both. I saw the original and the remake, and they were both fantastic. And I, of course, I read the book. Of course, you did. He's got a new book out. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't enjoyed the the more, more recent books. I got to say, but I'll have to oh, check it out. I thought oh. his scarier stuff was like uh, from the seventies, eighties, even nineties. So you're saying he's grown soft with age? Mm. Yeah, they're just they're interesting. Well, I still like him. Good stories, but um, like my top, I don't think none of my top ten come from past two thousand. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry that he let you down. <laughs> he's fantastic. I still I still like him. Do you? But maybe, you know, you just got tired of telling those kind of stories. I don't know. I know. I imagine that if you're an author and you have great success with one 
genre, one mm-hmm. style of storytelling, what have you. You're like, okay, great. Well, then, you know, you want to do it again because it, it was successful. But then at a certain point, are you like, enough of this? Yeah, I don't, I want, want, I don't want to follow these, I don't know, tropes or whatever or tell this kind of ghost story or this kind of horror story. But he's so good at it. I think about like James Patterson. James Patterson has been writing the same book. Mm-hmm. For the better part of 20 years, if not longer. Some people can just repeat, you know, it is interesting that way. Just, you know, musician, comic, author, whatever. Um, Excuse me. Podcaster. Podcaster. It's like some people, you know, uh, definitely evolve and morph much more than others. And some people do the same thing so well. And Right. And and they don't bore of it and they enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, uh, plug and play. Totally. And and good for them. Yeah. I, I love a James Patterson novel. They're always entertaining. I always know exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But it's like a good mind. It's like watching a good mindless movie, like a rom com, or which I don't like rom coms. But that's yeah, stu- just easy escapism. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then James Patterson started co-authoring with other people. Yeah, I think like did he maybe do one with like Bill Clinton? Like huh. like random people of note, where you're like, oh okay, yeah, you want to? All right, you know, yeah. so. Um, it's worked for him. He seems like, uh, you know, he stays out of the spotlight. You never yeah, hear yeah. any. I feel like he got in trouble for something a couple of years ago. You okay over there? I'm fine. Do you want a little um, pastille? No, I should have grabbed uh, the, the throat coat that we brought for. Of course, now, like the one day we don't have it. I, uh, need... I'll be okay. I'll the, be okay. These are throat calming. That's fine. Because okay. I don't like the sound it makes. Oh, oh, was I'm mine? Like, was it loud? It was a little, yeah. Oh, shoot. I felt I couldn't hear it. I could. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I would have stopped. You could have said something. Yeah. You could have said, don't do that. Maybe maybe I don't do that anymore. Yeah, I won't do that anymore. Oh, no. It's okay. They keep my throat well-coated. Oh, sorry, guys. You could have pointed at me like... <clears throat> <laughs> All right. Do you have your um, homemade Layla? Uh, I do. I love that Layla so much. Mm-hmm, She's the too. cutest Layla we've ever had. <laughs> love it. <laughs> All right. Well... Like I said before, this might not be the scariest of tales, but I did think like it does. One of those it does confirmation type stories. Yeah, and, and it has like a scary moments and and sweet moments. But yeah. I was thinking about you and I dying, which is a lovely thought, uh, and then like coming back to see the kids. And mm. I thought like, oh yeah, you would definitely want to play tricks on the kids. Yeah. Where I would be like, I'm right here. I love you. Yeah. Do you feel like that's accurate? Yeah, I feel like that's, uh, that's accurate. Yeah. You wouldn't come back to give him a swift kick in the pants. No. I would. (laughs) Well, let's see what's going on with this family. Hey, Dan and Lindsay. Big fan of the podcast. Dan, I've been a fan of yours since Crazy with a capital F. Oh, wow. Thanks. I know. So long ago because you're so old now. Pretty old. Yeah. My girlfriend and I both listen every week and our anniversary is Halloween, so we bond over ghost stories and scary shit. While my story isn't really scary, it's actually slightly uplifting, it does deal with the supernatural. I apologize for the length, but the story encompasses multiple encounters over a period of time. My father passed away in our family home of a brain tumor when I was just 10 years old. When I was about 16, I woke up in the middle of the night around 3 a.m. I've always struggled with nightmares and waking up from them, but this time, that wasn't the case. I sat up and saw the doorway of my room, and there stood my father. The room was dark, no lights on, but his figure stood in my doorway perfectly illuminated. He didn't look like he did when he was sick, nor like he did before he got sick. He actually looked like he had aged in the time that had passed. He stood there, staring at me, not angry, not sad, just looking at me, almost like he was checking in on me. 
I sat staring, terrified, not because his presence was malevolent, but because I was not a believer in spirits at the time. He disappeared down the hallway, and I stayed awake the rest of the night, unable to sleep. About three months later, the same thing happened. I woke up, saw him in the doorway, and stared frozen in fear of what I was seeing. He still had that same look on his face. Not angry, just watching. He eventually disappeared down the hallway. I sat there frozen for a few minutes and then got up to get a bottle of water because I was thirsty. When I woke up the next morning, the bottle of water was there, and so I knew what had happened the night before had in fact happened. Another three months passed, and the same thing happened. This time, I mustered up the courage to follow him when he disappeared down the hallway. On the opposite side of the house was the family room where he had passed away. My mom had redecorated since he passed, and we kept the door closed so the dog didn't pee on the new carpet. I saw my dad walk down the hall to the door to that room and dissolve into the door. Pretty spooky. Fast forward a couple of years. I'd moved out of my mom's house. Be, uh, I had moved out of my mom's house, but because of some financial struggles, had to move back in with her. I had been depressed because a business friend, a business my friend and I had, had gone under, mm. and I was pretty depressed because of it. And I wasn't working or doing anything but smoking pot and playing video games in my mom's basement. It was a Friday night around Christmas when my mom came downstairs to tell me that she was going out on the town with her gal pals. She left and I began to break down slightly simply because of where I was at in life. I ended up in bed that night before my mom got home, which was out of the ordinary. I woke up in the middle of the night to hear a jingle bell and some wood clicking against wood. My mom decorated the house every year for Christmas, and on the door to the family room, she would hang a wooden advent calendar on a nail on the door and an angel with a bell on the doorknob. I quickly realized that that's what I was hearing. I sprang out of bed and ran into the hallway, turned on the light, and then I saw it. The door to the room where my father had passed away was shaking as if someone was on the other side trying to force it open, but it was locked. The thing is, there is no lock on that door whatsoever. If someone was on the other side, they'd have no problem mm. opening the door. I quickly realized that it was my dad, and even though he wasn't physically there to get me through this point in my life, he was going to scare me into getting <laughs> my shit together. Within a week, I was working two jobs <laughs> and got my life back on track, thanks to some parenting from the grave. Wow. Thank you guys so much for the great podcast. I look forward to Wednesdays every week. Keep up the good work, Kyle. Thanks, Kyle. That's so cool. I know. I love that story. Mm -hmm. Like protective dad, you know, showing up sometimes, just kind of yeah. like peeking on him and then, you know, not approving of his uh, life plan there for a little while. And yeah. Giving like, him a little spook. Yeah. Like, okay, you've wallowed long enough. Let's go, buddy. Time to get your shit together. Yeah. I love that story. As do I. And, and over several years, many years time, that's just, and not like a loop. It's not like he was no. seeing the same thing, you know, because sometimes it's like we, we see that with ghosts where it's like, is this a sentient entity or, or like an echo left over from the past where it's yeah. just like they don't seem aware of what's around them. Like the, the entity is just like doing the same thing every time somebody sees it in the same place. Yeah. But this, but this spirit is, you know, doing some different stuff. He's purposeful. Mm -hmm. I also like, though, that it could have gone the other way where it's like it, it, it very easily for me as a believer could have the first time I could have been like, oh, I think it was my dad. But then a second time I might have been like, is it my dad or is it something else? Yeah. And I would have been scared enough to be home alone and then hear that jingle bell. Yeah. To be like, oh, God, is it or isn't it like I don't know if I would have been brave enough. Yeah, because we've had a lot of those stories where something appears as something else to trick you. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So. Yeah. 
well, whether it was your dad or not. Well, yeah. <laughs> scared you into getting mm-hmm. it together, which I love. Mm-hmm, me too. Yeah. No, I think it was his dad. Yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't think we really know about spirits motivating people to get shit done. Not often. I mean, there's the, that one Teresita Bassa thing we've talked about so yes. many times. Oh, God, that story. I would where, revisit that one again in a heartbeat. It was so fascinating. Mm-hmm, where it's like, you know, like that that ghost or whatever and would seem to have been persistent big yeah. time. But, that, but those stories are hard to find. True, 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 true. Uh, and then I have just like three little quick tales individually, yeah. but collectively they make up a really nice juicy story yeah. uh, about a, a haunted frat house. And I was just thinking about like, you had a more traditional college experience living with a bunch of friends in a, yeah. it wasn't a frat house, but. Now we didn't have the Greek system, so I didn't have yeah. that experience. Yeah. But, but roommates and yeah. Yeah. And you guys were insane in that house. Yeah. A party house. And did you guys have any ghosts in your house? Or like, did anybody? Was I don't that- remember anyone talking about ghosts actually when I was in college. Okay, interesting. I might have just forgotten. Yeah, but I remember. I remember hearing like, oh, this this dorm is supposedly haunted. Right. But I don't. But I don't remember ever hearing a friend say like, oh my god, the other night, you- th- th- this this and this happened. Yeah. 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 Yeah, me either. I was trying to think about it. I was like, God, like I don't remember any of that. Um, my friends too. You know, even like when we were living you know, in apartments or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I don't think that I was as in tune with it either. I would hear stuff and be more scared of like, is somebody breaking in? Yeah. Just being like young and single and female. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, living in LA. And more often than not, what would wake me up was like, you know, helicopters overhead with spotlights trying to find whoever they were <sighs> trying to find. Right. It's such a common occurrence there. Yeah. That it was like, okay, well. Going back to bed. Guess it wasn't. Guess it wasn't somebody rattling my bedroom door. It was yeah, the yeah, yeah. helicopter overhead rattling the whole building. I don't know. All right. Well, let's let's check it out. Okay. What's up, scared to death crew? First off, huge fan of the show. Love horror stuff. Definitely a creeper. And while reasonably skeptical on some of the stuff, the stories are super entertaining. And y'all are both awesome. And appreciate the hours and hours of time I've spent with you. Thank you. I recently graduated from college from a huge state school in the South, and my Christian faith is a huge Mm -hmm. part of my life, and every demonic possession story has me on the edge of my seat. I was an active, super-involved brother of one of America's largest social fraternities, a mid-sized chapter at my school with an old, crappy house across the street from our campus. I'll I'll acknowledge the oxymoronic nature of a (laughs) Jesus-loving frat boy. That being said, this group of guys was family to me, and there were far more good, happy times in our house than bad. Mm. I know y'all are here for the spooks. These are my ghost stories of the trap house. The trap house. Time now for the tale of the trap house. That sounds like that's a good one. Yeah. The cookie jar. One morning, I wake to a message in our group chat that read, Ayo, who the fuck put this cookie jar in the projector room? It looks stupid AF. (laughs) with an attached picture of a ceramic cookie jar shaped like a toddler, blonde hair, blue eyes, red cheeks, wearing a striped shirt, overalls, and little goofy kid shoes, holding a lollipop in one hand and a cookie in the other. The lid was her head up and neck down was the jar that could hold stuff. Mm -hmm. Goofy, dumb little thing, but just (laughs) creepy enough that someone immediately messaged back, you scared or something? The reality was... No one knew how it had gotten there. No one fessed up to bringing it over to the house. Who the heck would own something like that anyways? Let alone bring it into a fraternity house where you'll be mercilessly roasted for wearing cargo shorts. (laughs) That's, That's valid. 
I called the alumni housing director, a 70-something-year-old who was a brother of the chapter back in the 60s and 70s, and asked him about it. We have artifacts in the house that date back to the 30s, so there is a chance he had come by, as he often does unannounced, and put it out for history's sake. He had no idea, and I sent him the picture, and he simply replied, no idea, do what you want with it. And boy, did the boys oblige. She was named by the end of the day. Betty. Betty, rather than spending her life in the house doing her intended trained vocation of holding cookies, mm-hmm. became the dumpster in which used dead vapes were tossed because the 14-step <laughs> walk to the trash can in the kitchen was just too far. I suspect she didn't appreciate this. By the end of the week, brothers began complaining that somehow, between the time they turned on the projector to watch golf or Disney Plus or a Vine compilation of YouTube videos, she'd have physically churned from wherever her initial position was to glaring down at whatever unsuspecting TV watcher was in the room. If there were multiple guys in the room, I think she turned to whomever had put the most vapes inside of her. I cringed even just writing that. So by the end of the week, it was decided Betty had to go. A brother took her out to the real dumpster in the parking lot, sent her, set her gently inside. Everyone agreed breaking her body seemed wrong, even though we'd already torched her spirit and morale. Took a picture of it, and that was it. Trash day came and went. There was an empty dumpster the next day. So you can imagine the terror that myself and the boys were greeted with the next Thursday night after enjoying a particular particularly thirsty Thursday at the bar to see Betty staring back at us when we turned the lights on in the projector room. There she was looking as cheery and spiteful as ever. We were spooked and baffled and with alcoholic confidence, gently picked her up and walked her back to the dumpster, set her in and went on with our night, keeping our eyes peeled for that little gremlin. What's important here is that no one that night told anyone who wasn't there about this experience. The first time, it could have been a prank for sure. But this time, no one outside this bar hopping group knew what had happened. The next night, after happy hour, there she was again, glaring back at us in the projector room. This time, no one was amused and she was violently thrown into the dumpster, (laughs) shattered, and never to be heard from again. Hmm... Yeah, was it a prankster or was Betty coming back? Well, I mean, I'm with the storyteller that mm-hmm. the first time, sure, any yeah. of those guys. But yeah. the fact that no one else knew, like why that second time, why, like how would that even happen? You would like go to the dumpster, just like some other frat brother would go to the dumpster and see it there and think like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to play. Tr- yeah, yeah, unlikely. Yeah, a little suspicious and and the fact that lots of them thought you know it was you know shifting and tilting like you know turning around on that table to kind of like uh, face people yeah uh-huh a haunted cookie jar mm-hmm but like a, kind of like a little porcelain doll too i know just the way it would look and the way it was dressed was creepy uh-huh. just as a i as a concept pretty funny that that just image is just creepy even outside of an actual doll i like just put that image into the form of a cookie jar right right it's still super creepy yeah yeah it really is story number two okay douchebag Mid-October is a fun time around the house. <laughs> wait, he, he just wrote okay douchebag? That, that's the name of the second tale. Oh, that's the name. I was like, wait, you, who are you calling douchebag? Okay, got you, it. You, you're a douchebag. <laughs> Mid-October is a fun time around the house. The new guys are comfortable around the brothers, and they're all on their mission to get to know the guys in the organization, knowing they'll be quizzed on it later. 
That's where I found myself this rainy evening, sitting on the couch in the multi-purpose room, talking to a new guy about life, trucks, girls, and what he wanted out of his four years in the fraternity. As we were talking, I was telling him an old fraternity legend about some brothers in the 1920s and their escapades, when behind us, we heard the sliding glass door open and close, like someone had just walked in and had the rare decency to actually close the door behind them. A very distinct noise. Sitting in our deep, plush couch, we couldn't see who was there over our shoulders, but it was just as obvious because we'd heard the door open. What's up? I asked. No answer. Who's there? Still nothing. Okay, douchebag, I grumbled (laughs) as I eased up from my too comfortable position to see who was trying to be sneaky. No one was there. Now, I know what you're thinking, and the way the couch was haphazardly positioned on this night, its back was to the sliding glass door, and there was only about three feet of space between the entryway and the back of our house. No one could walk in without us seeing, but we were blind to anyone who entered. Hmm. Probably just on... Probably just someone pulling some shit, I muttered to the now frightened kiddo in front of me. Let's have a look at the backyard camera. As I pulled up the camera, rewound it about five minutes and scrolled through frame by frame to find the culprit. Now only was the not only was there no one on the camera that night, which was uh sorry, not only was there no one that came up to the door, which was obstructed by the camera from viewing by the awning, the backyard was totally empty and had been for at least the last hour. We still get made fun of for this one, but me and that guy Josh still swear by the story to this day. And then the last story, the clattering. The clattering. A brother who, for a period, occupied one of the two downstairs bedrooms dated a very strong, very independent woman. (laughs) She was awesome, confident, and abundantly willing to stand up for herself, and she did so often when he would, as boys sometimes do, act like a fool. Unfortunately, this led to some nasty-sounding verbal fights between the two of them. With him living at the house, there were often unsuspecting brothers caught in the crossfire. Nothing new. They always worked it out. Two lovebirds who both <laughs> wear the pants in the relationship, even when they were too tight to share. <laughs> I love phrasing. that. Yeah. One quiet afternoon, I was studying with a girl, I swear to God, in the multipurpose room when we heard the distinct noise of a plastic plate hit the floor in the resident kitchen. Oh, Frank's so clumsy when he's high, I told my guest. We resumed studying. A moment goes by, now a heavier clattering, maybe a heavier plate or a platter, hits the ground. I got up this time to investigate, fearful Frank or his girlfriend were there, passively aggressively tossing stuff on the floor, which this hadn't been done yet, but it also wasn't out of their respective characters. I walked into an empty kitchen, everything properly in its place, except for a plastic plate and a heavy heavy glass, which hadn't broken, laying precariously on the floor. I picked them both back up and then checked Frank's location on Snapchat and saw he was at work. I clicked on his most recent story and saw that four minutes earlier, a picture of his girlfriend sitting in the booth captioned, second favorite visitor to the deli. (laughs) I honestly wrote it off as the house, along with all the wiring and plumbing, which is all well over 50 years old and has been so cautiously taken care of over the years by 18 to 22 year olds. And any pipe under the sink could absolutely get the countertop shaking if someone discarded a jewel pod where they weren't supposed to. I walked back to my study buddy and the scariest thing possible happened. She started to look bored and disinterested. I quickly <laughs> got back to the st- on the study train and pulled some knowledge out of my ass to keep her engaged as we got back to it. 
The relief I felt was immediately interrupted when I heard a glass shatter from the same room as before. I immediately got up and started walking that way again when I heard another. Upon entry, I found two shattered glasses on the floor, and by God, I finally had an excuse as to why I never seemed to be able to bring girls home. And from that point forward, we studied at her her sorority house. Yeah, that one uh, seems the least likely of all of them to have some kind of like prankster or something involved because you would hear their footsteps if you're uh, hearing like the clattering of like the plastic plates hit and then hearing the shattering of the glass. Yeah. You know, and you're coming quickly that second time uh, after you hear the glass because of what happened earlier, you would hear for sure someone running out of the kitchen. Absolutely. And And, and to have randomly a bunch of stuff to suddenly fall off counters or fall out of like cupboards or something like in that one night when that sounds like that never happened before. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like this couple was Something always like there. fighting, but like they were never really throwing stuff around. I love that that was like his assumption, like, oh, great, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Like Frank's either high or Frank and his girlfriend are fighting. Yeah. You know, which is what we all do. We make justifications about what we think we see and hear. Right. Yeah. But then to find out no one. Yeah, that one's hard to rationalize any other way. Yeah, and then when you just add that to... Yeah, the other things. The the back door sliding open and closed with uh-huh. no documentation. Which is such a distinctive sound. I know. It really is like... Yep, yep, yep. You know? Uh, and then nothing to be on camera, you know, from that backyard right, experience. Right, right. And then go back one further to the cookie jar. And he... like they, I, There were multiple other stories. Uh, right. Of other terrible, crazy things happening at this frat house i mean to be very honest i eliminated one of the stories because it was eerily similar to what recently happened in moscow that i was like gotcha eh, gotcha can't, just, can't do it okay okay it's it so totally insensitive but like it was just like things just started to escalate and get worse and worse and more weird oh. and more weird so yeah so that house there's something yeah. for sure going on there i think so and at some point the sto- uh the the sender of the story does eventually go and pray over the house. And yeah. once they pray over the house, nothing ever happens again. Okay. Oh, thanks for adding those details. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah it was, I really did want to share this other story, but it just, I, okay, just didn't I feel didn't right feel right about, about it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. But, but not like, I mean, like there's gotta be other haunted sorority fraternity houses. Cause those tend to be very old houses. Mm-hmm. Like Greek system has been around forever. And I think this is the first time that I've really had a good frat house story. Yeah, I, mean, I guess there's a house like like any other place. Yeah, I feel, I feel like now we've covered haunted everything. Like there's haunted True. hospitals, haunted jails. Ha- I mean, any structure and places like in the woods mm-hmm. where there's nothing because you know it's uh, something can happen. You know, just anywhere at all. Haunted castles, haunted. I know there are just things everywhere. I was going to say we haven't had a haunted car, but that's not true. At some point, we had a story. I believe that you told about oh, like an Uber uh, driver. Yeah, uh huh. Uh, and like a, Long time ago. an extra or a taxi cab, like somebody getting in the backseat who then really was never there. And I think we've had at least two of those. I want to say there's been like ones where like the, the uh, maybe the driver suddenly saw something in the backseat. I know there's, yeah. there's been stories where the driver suddenly sees somebody in the mirror, mm-hmm. looks back and then there's no one there. Ugh. Like this like passenger suddenly shows up. That's terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. And then there's... There was one where I think like the driver was the entity or so. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But there's... But, oh, there's been at least, and yeah, and then there was one where somebody got into, I want to say a taxi or an, maybe it was an Uber, like a rideshare thing, but somebody yeah. else was already that's, in it. That's, that's what the I was referencing. But yes. then it turns out there was only one person right. ever, only right. one passenger. Yep, I do remember that. Yeah, that's the one that I recall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just, on the fraternity sorority thing, I would love more stories about that because when I think about 
those houses, they have the most turnover of people coming in and out. Mm-hmm. So it it would be likely that if there was something in a fraternity or sorority house, yeah. or, or, well, I guess that's like dorms, because there's so many people coming in and out, there would be like a litany of people with stories. So you'd have the most kind of confirmation where it's yeah. like, generally, when you buy a house, you live there for a long time. Yeah. You don't know the previous owners. So you're not going to have mm-hmm. this history to go yeah. off of. I mean, you'll have your own stuff maybe for years and years, but I do just find it more comprehensive and believable when it's a multitude of people from a multitude of walks of life yeah. having similar experiences over and over in the same space. And we and we have explored, it wasn't fraternity, yeah. but it was campus housing. We've had a couple stories set in campus housing where yeah. there's that same kind of turnover. Yeah, yeah, that's why I said like dorms. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, want to do some shout outs? Yeah. You want to do them first? You want me to? Sure. I can go first. Okay. Uh, we'd like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us all year long on Patreon. Yeah. Happy holidays, everyone. And thanks again for helping making our giving tree a possibility again this year. So cool. What was it? 125 kids? 152 kids? I can't remember the number because I get a little... Yeah. I want to say 53 families and it was over 100 kids. Over 100 kids. Good job, you guys. Yeah. Really, really awesome work. Allie Meacham. Cameron Cardi, I'm sorry, Cameron Accardi, Chrissy Myers, Dustin Offenberg, Jean Wilson, Laura Spurgeon, Becca, Bill, Billy, and Brayden Danbois, Finn High, Heather Felt, Elizabeth J. Nielsen, Lizzie Snelson, Bethany Kuvulian, Abigail Gahem, Mark Stanley, Piper Weasel. <laughs> Piper Weasel. Why is that funny? Weasel is a pretty funny last name. Hmm. Piper doesn't think Piper so. Weasel? If I, if I, Piper Weasel, this isn't the first time someone's... How dare you? ...chuckled about her name. How dare you? And actually on names, we were talking to the kids last night. I just asked them just last night before we recorded. I'm like, does anybody uh, tease you guys about oh your God. last name? You know, Cummins? Yet? Yeah. And they were like, oh, every day. I know. I cannot believe that. Like, I was telling the kids, sorry to the sidebar, but it it literally did not occur to me. We were six months into dating before somebody had made some backhanded remark. And I was like, what? About Cummins, yeah. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? How old are you? <laughs> so mm-hmm. maybe you should think about that when you pick on Weasel. <laughs> Cisco Sarah. No? Okay. Okay. Brandon Haddad. No. Brian Ferguson. Penny Grubb. Penny Grubb's pretty funny. Oh, man. And Terry. Penny, Penny Grubb and Piper Weasel would be like a funny tandem. Mm. Oh, now I, hear, now I hear Logan laughing. Law firm of Grubb and Weasel. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny combination of last names. I don't know if what's funnier, Grubb and Weasel or Weasel and Grubb. <laughs> weasel and Grubb. We, not, weasel, weasel and Grubb sounds like a restaurant. Weasel and Grubb sounds like a restaurant or like, like a cool pub. Or like a random cartoon. <gasps> oh, you see, yes. do you guys watch Weasel and Grubb? Oh my God. And it's like these two roommates just called Weasel and Grub, and they're just like weird, goofy characters. Okay, that I can get behind. Right. All right. And my last one, Terry Larcy. Terry Larcy. Okay. Uh, I have the following Annabelle's to uh, thank Shay, Austin Park, your friendly neighborhood cryptid, Mackenzie Fullwider, Full Wider, um, Brandy Nordine, Megan Loy. I like just MC. Just MC. Nice. Keeping it simple. Kelsey Hager, Laurel Woods, Adam, oh my gosh, Baylor John, Baylor John, Baylor Gion, Carrie of the Island. Okay, Carrie. Parker with enraging misophonia. I, I feel you, Parker. I feel you as well. I almost killed Dan yesterday. 
<laughs> uh, Russ Williams, Sarah Vandible, Jay, Sean Lusby, Tiana Allen, or Tiana Allen, Alexandria Watkins, Rachel Domino, Anna Leneg, and Weasel Grub. <laughs> How dare you? I have the following spoopy shout outs to Athena from your mom, Amber. Happy birthday. To Callie from Felix, which is my favorite name. I appreciate yeah. all I appreciate all you do for us and our little dog family. To to old lady, oh, aka mom from your spoopy children. Happy birthday. Don't break your hip. And remember, two out of three ain't bad. I'm guessing there's three kids. Because <laughs> it's like the mom and the daughters listen to the show together. And I'm guessing that either the third child is either a daughter that doesn't listen or a son that is like not a part of the gang. Isn't that also possibly like a a, a meatloaf reference? Isn't, didn't meatloaf have a big song like two out of three ain't bad? I have no idea. I was not. Sure a- did. Yeah, I thought so. I was trying to get the melody in my head. I'm like, two out of three. I can't remember how it goes. Oh, boy. I'm, I, for one second, I thought you were talking about actual meatloaf. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> two out of three meatloafs aren't bad. Not bad. That's a, that's a stat a lot of people know about. Uh, to Mystery Cat and Trixie Cat from your mom and dad. We love you both so much. And then this is actually rather heavy. Uh, to Katie from everyone on the Hail Lucifina Discord. Rest in peace, Katie. We all love you and miss you so much already. I haven't gotten the backstory here yet, but I do know that one of our faithful bad magicians, Katie, mm. uh, 32, 35, <sighs> passed away uh, oh, sometime within the last week. And when I got, I, I had gotten a few messages no details yeah. not that it's any of our business sure but i don't know if katie was ill or if katie was battling her own demons sure, or just sure, sure. A, a freak thing but we're thinking of katie and all of her friends and family and is, and is the hail lucifina that's its own discord channel yeah there's so many channels just like that's, facebook there okay, are like cool. all these Didn't subgroups yeah and that is our show. Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror all year long to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith and Tyler C. for the work on social media. To Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com and producing today and directing. Woo-hoo. Thanks to Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing listeners' t- stories for book number three. Four. Four, yeah. Man. Uh, thanks to producer Sarah Finch for finding the first story I told this week and to Sophie Evans for finding that second. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch the show. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content and to see the pictures that accompany the episodes at Scared to Death Podcast. Uh, you can also follow us on TikTok for that as well at Scared to Death Podcast to check out special moments, highlights from the episodes. Uh, if you don't want to hear more ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon, get the entire catalog ad-free and more, and enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers, and happy holidays. Happy holidays. Hope you're scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but hath no home here within scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. Weasel is a pretty funny last name. Okay, douchebag. 
Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy.